Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today, we have a conversation with Mary Jelkowski. Now, Mary and I go way back. We actually got brought together through a six-month women's leadership program. At the time, I knew of her from the social media world, but being able to go through this program with her, where essentially it was this leadership program designed to help us grow our missions to empower wonderful warriors like you to find more self-love, self-acceptance, and ultimately freedom from food and body issues. Now, this leadership program wasn't exactly designed specifically for this cause, but the fact that Mary and I were both going through it with similar missions and kind of this aim for greater social impact, it was just really cool to connect with her through this program and through the live retreats that we did in it. And we got to know each other more. And so I've had her come on to follow your bliss. And now we're having her come on again today because she's just an extraordinary woman. And it's so amazing for me to get to know her outside of the veneer of social media. You know, social media can only show you so much about a person. And Mary continually impresses me. Like, I'm just so proud of the work that she's doing in this world. And since our leadership program, she has gone on to write two, count it, two books dedicated to helping you cultivate more self-love. Her first book is titled The Gift of Self-Love. And I actually just saw it the other day in Paper Source. It's been in anthropology. So it's just so cool to have a friend of yours and be able to see their book in like your favorite stores. (laughs) Just be like, oh my God, that's Mary's book. Not only is the cover beautiful, but everything inside of it is. And her second book, which was just recently released, is titled 100 Days of Self-Love, A Guided Journal. And both The Gift of Self-Love and 100 Days of Self-Love are beautiful adornments on my bookshelf. I'm actually looking at them right in this very moment as I'm talking with you about them. So it's just so beautiful to see her work come out into the world. Now, these are not your typical sit and read books. Obviously, there is great words to read inside of them, but they're really full of actionable activities you can do to improve your self-love and empower you to love yourself more exactly as you are. So I'm so excited to have Mary here to share her journey of going from struggling with an eating disorder and being disconnected from her emotions to now living in recovery and embracing her emotional sensitivity while becoming a leader in the self-love movement. And before we dive into our conversation, I want to encourage you to check out The Daily Growth Habit. It is a private library of audio affirmations that you can access directly from your podcast player. All you have to do is request an invite to get access over at recoverywarriors.com slash habit. Right now, we have affirmations on cultivating a strong recovery mindset, overcoming food guilt, building body acceptance, healing unworthiness and unlovability, and many more. 
We'll continue to add new affirmations in for all of our insiders who have access. Now, our intention with the Daily Growth Habit is to help you nurture new ways of thinking and being around food, body, and self-love. It's easy to get in on the Daily Growth Habit. Head over to recoverywarriors.com slash habit to request your free invite. I dropped the link down below in your episode notes for easy access. Now, I want to give a warm welcome to my self-love system, Mary. I am so happy to have you here to share your recovery journey with all the warriors. Thank you. I'm so, so happy to be here. One question I've always wanted to ask you, and I don't know why, like, because we, you know, we were together in a women's leadership program for six months. But one question I always just forgot to, to really ask was like, what, it, what's Mary's cup of tea about? Like, oh. what, what's that name? What's the origin story of the name? <laughs> I love when people ask me this because it's like a couple different things combined. So I always say like, I do not in fact sell tea. However, originally I did want to sell tea. I wanted to do like an e-commerce thing selling tea. And then I was like, and also it was cute because then I could talk about and blog about whatever I wanted without putting myself into a box. And then I got all those tea samples from Alibaba and I just got so overwhelmed (laughs) by the whole process. And they come in these little bags and you're like, okay, this tea is like straight from China. It's like bag. There's like a little label on it. And I got dozens and dozens and dozens. And I'm like, where do I even start sourcing this tea and packaging this on it? So anyways, I gave up on that real quick. But the name Mary's Cup of Tea kind of just stuck. That's hysterical. I had no idea. (laughs) You're so entrepreneurial. Like, I'm going to do a tea business. (laughs) Yeah, because I was, it was truly like my way of combining because tea was like the most therapeutic for me in recovery, I feel like. I, I grew up drinking tea. But then like, you know, in my fitness and bodybuilding and disordered eating days, instead of tea, I was drinking like a gallon of BCAAs or whatever, you know, mm. like all those powdery stuff. And then as I like started to come back more to myself, I just started drinking more tea and you know, I could be having like the worst body image day, or I could have just had like a horrible binge and just like hating myself. And I would have a cup of tea and it wouldn't fix everything, but it would bring me a certain sense of peace. And so then I was like, well, I love tea. Like it's just been such a part of my life for so long. Maybe I could (laughs) brand my own tea. And yeah, that didn't work out. But (laughs) the name kind of has a special place in my heart for sure. Yeah. And there's something about, well, one thing I love on your podcast, sometimes you take a dramatic cup, a dramatic sip of tea. (laughs) It makes me so happy that you noticed that because a couple, yeah, I I host online retreats and somebody like raised their hand to ask a question and I unmuted them and they're like, wait, let me just take a dramatic sip of tea first. And I'm like, I love this. Should we just both do a dramatic sip right now? I have coffee. Mm -hmm. Coffee's tea sister or brother or mom or dad, who knows? Yeah, like a, a cousin. <laughs> cousin, <laughs> second cousin. Uh, wow, okay, that's funny. I'm glad I got to, to know what that was all about. And tea, too, is something that I've been recommended over the years as like a self care habit. Like, if you know, like pour yourself a warm cup of tea mm-hmm. and just sit with your emotions and the tea. And so, is that something that you found was helpful to? Yeah. You know, connect more with the senses and just feelings of, of liquids in your, your stomach. Yeah, and for sure. I'm like a hot beverage gal in general, but something about a cup of tea. Well, it's like 
you know, I struggle with insomnia and then on top of what I went through with like my eating disorder and then like binge eating too. Cause you know how, I don't know if you've ever struggled with binge eating, but after oh, yeah. like a, yeah, you know how after a binge, you're like so full that you like can't even move, but yet you need something else. <laughs> and you know that feeling when you're like looking for that something, like what's going to cap this mm-hmm. when you're feeling that sick. And I felt like tea was the only thing that I I could like tolerate after that even or the morning after you know or the day after like it was just so calming yeah yeah I mean this is a lot of tea talk but there's one more thing about tea (laughs) did you guys know this whole episode about tea uh I find that there like there's so many varieties of it that you can choose in a way like when you have your tea like oh do I want my bedtime tea or this florally and like with coffee you don't really get that I mean you can have like light dark rose or whatever but there's just so many different expressions of it and like what you're in the mood for yeah you said it's like exactly what I was thinking exactly it's like if I need some energy I'll have some green tea if I want if I want to feel like bring back my childhood then I have black tea well earl gray tea was like our big thing and then you know herbal teas and all the teas yeah, this is a lot of tea talk. <laughs> yeah, I'm into matcha tea right now. Okay, we oh, can stop. We can stop the tea talk. <laughs> so one concept that I love that you have, well, first off, I'm holding this amazing book called The Gift of Self-Love, and it's a workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself that Mary released. And I'm just amazed by it. I'm in love with everything inside. And I do want to just kind of go through a key parts here. Not all, because guys, you really do have to check out this book because there's so much goodness inside. Where First, where did you get the idea of making it into a workbook as opposed to just you know a memoir of your recovery story? Because it's really full of activities and exercises and challenges. Mm, thank you. Um, the workbook, yeah, it's really special to me because it's been years in the making. So I started hosting retreats and I really wanted to create like an accessible retreat, like a retreat in a book. And I created this like ebook that was 87 pages and people were printing it out and like doing the exercises directly in it. And I wish, I think this is something I wish I would have had. Like I wish I would have had one safe space. Not that there weren't workbooks around, but nothing like this that was just so focused. So between that and like trying to make it a retreat in a book, like exercises that we would be doing if we were in like Costa Rica or Bali together. Um, And you can see even by the design, like we tried to make it that kind of vibe as well, tropical and free spirited, I suppose. And yeah, I also, my background is in like life coaching. And so I really, really believe in the power of just like putting pen to paper because I've read so many self-help books. Like it's stupid how many self-help books I read. And it's smart. How many? It's smart. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like so, yeah, so many people will be like, have you read this book? And I'll be like, yeah. And they're like, how'd you like it? And I'm like, I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I got the gist, but no, nothing ever truly landed. And so Yeah, I just wanted for the reader to have something that they could have and hold and write in and cry on and laugh with and just kind of like that more personal experience. And I just feel like it also doing exercises just has the most impact, I think, 
because then you can always like return back to them or you can be like, I did this one exercise in the workbook on me. You know, it just, you just kind of think about it a little bit more. At least that's how I was because anytime like a mentor gave me an exercise to do and I actually did it, it's stuck with me for life. And a lot of them are in this workbook. <laughs> so totally. yeah, yeah, it's, it's something that I, I was really intentional about. And also it was really cool to see how with that original ebook, people are literally printing it out. And I'm like, oh, you poor printer. That's a lot of ink. <laughs> Um, 87 pages. And so I wanted, yeah, I wanted like a physical copy of that same, same kind of style. And there's something nice about having it bound and like, as opposed to just printer paper, I feel like it just has like a special, special meaning to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then also, well, this is just like a random side note, but my best friend is in like product space. So she, creates or she's an e-commerce her business is sunglasses and stuff so anyway she was always like you should do like a physical product like something that could actually be in somebody's home because that's that's really cool (laughs) to like be in someone's space i don't know like a physical thing i don't know Well, speaking of that, your book got featured or is an anthropology, which is a a store that sells clothes and home furnishings and things. And it's so cool that they, you know, they saw this book as something that would make a good uh, accessory. (laughs) Sounds so accessory, but like for a coffee table. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's beautiful. It's so pretty. Thank you. Yeah. That was such a, that was such a big deal for us to get into anthropology because they've significantly cut down on books in general. So the fact that they picked this up was just was just really big. Yeah. Well, before we get into your book, I, one thing I really respect about you is that you have this little mantra that leaders are readers. And so I joked when I said it's smart that you've read so many self-help <laughs> yeah. books. I'm sure you're probably paralleling that you actually didn't get much from them. But sometimes... It's just the very act of going through and getting one little nugget, like even yeah. one thing in a book can can really transform your perception or perspective on something. So for you, how how do you incorporate reading into your day now? Or I know that part of your recovery story was really just diving mm-hmm. in, right? Doing like huge self-discovery, spiritual growth work. What was that like for you when you first started and where are you at with that now? I think reading has always been like my my thing always it was like my safe space I remember I had like a really tough childhood and I remember I would lock myself in the bathroom sit on the toilet and just read for hours hours um apparently that's like bad for your butthole <laughs> literally I was like what? poor butt <laughs> which I didn't know about until recently but hey everything's fine down there like don't worry about me um, <laughs> there's creams yeah there's creams <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, I it was just my like my escape. I didn't like pick up a recovery book that changed my life, but there were just a lot of I read a lot of more like spiritual books, I suppose. And one thing that I've always I don't know why my brain works this way, but it does. I really like to like take one idea from something unrelated and then make it related, if that makes sense. That's creativity. That's Is literally that? what like the scientific concepts around creativity are. It's where you like, take something from another area oh, and wow. you like bring it into your world. 
cool. Well, that makes me feel good. You're creative. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I'm literally reading The Power of Now, for example, by Eckhart mm. Tolle. I know you and I, we love, we love his books. Um, I even saw him speak live at that point in my life. And I don't know, it just felt like, I, obviously, he's not talking, like, there's nothing Eckhart Tolle says about eating disorders. Nothing, right? And yet, it just felt like, it felt like he was speaking to me because of just the certain, like, spiritual undertones of my eating disorder and like where it was coming from. Those kinds of books just helped me a lot because I think it wasn't like, here's how to recover and love your body and accept yourself. It was more like, here's how to see yourself as more than a body because at the end of the day, like that's still like our body image is still a part of our ego, right? And that's the big thing that a lot of these spiritual books talk about is like ego, whether it's like, money or having things look a certain way or or even if it's your body or food like all of these things are just they're still kind of like this surface level thing um of course mental health is so real and so deep but a lot of it has like very spiritual connection so that was kind of like my process it wasn't conventional by any means it was more like it all it just like kind of came together from many different sources there was not like one direct source. So anyways, at that time, I was like really dabbling in like Buddhism. And then I was trying to recover. And then I moved to another country. And I was spending a lot of time in nature. And at the same time, I got really into my schoolwork and like economics. And even that like, being challenged intellectually, like, even that in a way helped me like, just see myself as more than a body. And, you know, the relationship I was in as toxic as it was, it still helped me in so many different ways at that point in my life. So it was just all these micro things that added up. And I used to feel so much shame about that. I used to be like, why didn't I just go to treatment and have this very clear, concise story to tell? Because right now I feel like I'm rambling. But now I'm like, I like how my journey is now retrospectively, even though like if you would have asked me a year ago, I probably would have like tiptoed around it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like the convergence of all these different like ideas and paradigms that came to help you really understand the deeper issues, I would say. And sometimes when you're just focusing on the food and the body, like the aspect of the eating disorder and the symptomology around it, then you're ignoring the deeper roots. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I really resonate with your story too, because I found the most healing from the more peripheral books, the books that weren't necessarily, or the teachings that had to do more with ego and understanding of emotions and how we aren't our feelings, even though we can feel like they're consuming us and they're overpowering us. And that leads me to one of the little sections here I marked off in your book is you say, get real with how you feel so you can heal. And I love that. It's like a mantra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, for you, what role has feelings played in your healing process? And how has it evolved as you've grown? Mm-hmm. I never realized until very recently that I'm probably like highly empathetic, if not like borderline HSP. I learned about it because we had somebody in our group that was a therapist for HSPs, which is highly sensitive people. And I'm like, oh, I I don't know if I'm 100% that, but I totally relate to that. And I think there were just so many parts of my life, especially like middle school and high school, my identity was 
or the goal was be that bad bitch who doesn't care about anything. Hmm. You're Aquarius, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like very, the feedback that I would get a lot is like intimidating. Um, and I acted like I don't care what anybody thought or I acted like nothing affected me or like everything was fine or like it just is how it is. I don't think the Mary back then would have recognized me now because now I cry like at least three and a half times a day on like a a good day. (laughs) Um, And it just kind of like, I cry as hard as I laugh and vice versa. And like, I just really love, I don't know where I got this from, but somebody said like feeling more just gives you a fuller life, right? Like it's just, it just, I feel like it's more fulfilling for me personally. Um, And I know there's like the practice of stoicism and I have mad respect for it and I'm totally fascinated by it as well. But where I'm at in my life right right now, I'm like, let me feel all the things <laughs> and embrace them. Yeah, I've been really fascinated by stoicism and have almost kind of what we were talking about earlier, like taking parts of it that work for you and like leaving the rest because that part of like really suppressing emotion doesn't work, especially in eating sort of recovery. However, the part of detaching from emotions and not making them your story, right? Always like understanding that they yeah. they come and they go. Um, yeah. And a lot of a lot of these spiritual teachers too, they say like instead of being like, I am angry, you can just simply say like, I'm experiencing anger. Which is like such a simple way to like separate yourself a little bit and then you're still moving through it, but it's not such a big part of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's may sound kind of awkward to say that at first, but it really does help when you start to separate you from the feeling. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that feelings come and go. And yeah. one thing that I love, uh, kind of area that I've heard you talk about is to not get over-identified or the goal purpose of our life isn't to be happy. Mm. And sometimes we think like, oh no, if only I could do this, then I'll be happy. And there's like kind of this end result that we need to get to that's going to lead to happiness and therefore fulfillment and we'll be satisfied. Can you speak what you mean by the goal of life is to not be happy? Yeah. Yeah. Um- I don't want people to think that I don't want you to be happy. <laughs> what I mean by that. It's defined meaning. Yeah. The purpose, like, instead of being happy, like, such a simple shift that we can make is, like, I'm just looking for more meaning or more connection, being more present. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy all the time. I mean, if you think about the moments that you were the most happy, and when I think about those moments is when, like, you know, when you're, like, climbing a mountain and hiking is so hard for me. (laughs) And it's just like a battle, but then you're at the top and you're probably like feeling the state of bliss, right? Or even like doing things. I don't know if anybody relates to this. It's so random. But even if you're like boating, right? Like you were, you just brought up boating. Like it's, it's uncomfortable. Like it's not all pleasant when you're like, right? Like it's kind of, yeah, you're seasick. (laughs) You're kind of like, it's cramped. It's not like, you're not like laying in a hotel bed, like eating chocolate covered strawberries. It's very much like there's a lot of things that we do in life that ultimately end up being our best and most happiest memories. Or like I have this story, like, you know, everybody has a poop story (laughs) where you poop your pants. And like, I have one where I was in Bali in the middle of the bazaar. It was the worst experience of my life, but now like it makes me really happy (laughs) Um, because it's just like, you never, so I feel like, Happiness has just been so diluted. 
And it's become this thing that like, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about it, how it relates to capitalism and the way our society functions and how we were sold this idea of like being productive and working more and making lots of money and at the same time, be happy and everything's been like commodified there. And so, yeah, I think that instead of like pressuring yourself to be happy, which ultimately ends you more unhappy in the long run, because you're constantly feeling you're not reaching that expectation, like the more you set that expectation, that's the same thing with your body. Like if you're like, I wish I could just be happy with my body. Well, what if a better, more realistic and actually like a more proactive, productive intention is like, I want to feel more connected to my body. And it just like makes it so much easier to actually feel that instead of this arbitrary idea of happiness that nobody really knows what it is or how to define it. And so, yeah, I I often think about creating meaning in my life because some of the most, the best things I've done have come through (laughs) blood, sweat and tears and so many times where I was not happy. I mean, even like the work that we do, right? Like we're not always like happy. doing what we do, whether it's like administrative stuff or I don't know, even when I have a public speaking thing, I'm not like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm like, I am nervous. (laughs) This is not a good feeling. I have anxiety, like whatever. Then you're like in that moment. And the more you focus on like things like meaning and connection and presence, the more you end up feeling so much more than happiness. I think that's when we transcend into like joy, which joy is such a different feeling. I wouldn't even say joy is a feeling like happiness. I would say it's like a state of being like, you know, a joyful person when you see one, right? It's different from a happy person, right? Like, I feel like a joyful person, like they just kind of exist in that joy. Whereas like a happy person is more transient. Anyways, me just getting like hyper analytical about it, but. No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the state of joy is, you had to endure all of the highs and lows. I, I know you're a math nerd like me and like, you know, you think about like differentials and integrate, like when you integrals, yeah. like there's like, it's the whole, the everything that's below the curve makes up what like, so it's like, it's everything. It's not just. Exactly. Joy is like the area under the curve. It really, I think there is this idea that we're like, supposed to be happy and we attach what you're saying it's commodified like it's a lot of these things it's like some standard that's been set or other people this is what we consider is happiness if you've reached x y and z whereas meaning and you're saying is purpose is much more internal and self-guided and what that is for you not what society says and so then that joy is like expressing your own meaning your own purpose with your life exactly like happiness is sold like, you know, certain clothes or makeup or the way you look or money or this vacation or whatever. Whereas like when I've experienced meaning and like joy in my life, it's when I'm like digging in the dirt, like planting a new plant or when I'm riding bikes with my little sister or with just like these, like the most ordinary moments, but it's because they're meaningful is why they bring joy, not because they're sexy or glamorous or, you know, when quote unquote happy. So Yeah, I just think a lot of people have fallen into the happiness trap. That'd be a good book, The Happiness Trap. Somebody wants to write it. Next book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm I'm an expert, but (laughs) yeah, I just, and I also like, 
I, I think I've like really grown to like my personality within the past year because I've spent so much time with myself and like at home and I've really gotten to like get to know myself because even, you know, 2019, like I was traveling, I was hosting retreats, I was getting my degree. I don't know how I did everything that I did, but I almost like didn't get to spend as much time with myself as I did over the past year. And I've started like really figuring out what my personality is like. <laughs> and I realized that, yeah, I can be a total pain in the ass and I feel so many different things. And you know, my, my boyfriend, sometimes he, I just find him just gawking at me and being like, how did you just go from crying to laughing to cr like, how did all this happen? And it's just, I don't know. It's just that I feel like I've been able to be a little more present with my emotions and embrace all of them. And it's again, just going back to what I said earlier, it's like, I laugh as hard as I cry and vice versa. And I feel like if I didn't let myself cry, I wouldn't be able to like, laugh as deeply as I do like when I laugh I like scream laugh like have you ever scream laughed there's I, a silent laugh but then once you surpass that you start screaming I cry when I laugh like really yeah. bad like it looks like are you okay like like people want to come consult me because I'm just like crying <laughs> yeah <laughs> so okay but the scream laugh then Same does laugh. your dog come and be like, hey, okay? my, my dog is like deaf. I don't know what's up. <laughs> so no, yeah. but sometimes I just like cannot stop, especially when you see something really funny on TikTok. And then you go in the comments and it's just, people are so funny. And people are, thank God for people. <laughs> <Thank God. laughs> we need funny people. Yeah. And, uh, well, I remember reading early on, I know that you love this book too by Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection. And like, I know that I'm recalling a, a part of it where she is saying, you know, when you numb a certain emotion, so you're like, I don't want to feel this, but I do want to feel this, then you're you're cutting off the ability to feel an entirety of like what you're saying, the joy, like the true heightened sense of laughter if you're trying to shut off any of the sadness or the grief or the the pain. So... And you mentioned that you had a difficult childhood. Have you found that a lot of the work you've been doing in your recovery has been allowing yourself to grieve that or just let some of the feelings that you probably, out of self-protection, trapped early on and just didn't feel like you were safe to experience them or have thoughts? And Yeah, 100%. I would even say like because, I don't know if this is because my journey is more unconventional, but once I conquered like the food and body stuff, I feel like now I'm finally having space to dig into that. Um, and so, yeah, I've been in therapy for over a year now. And again, I feel like if I was in therapy during recovery, we would be talking a lot about food and body image. And of course, it would relate to so many childhood things too. But now I feel like I can just connect the bigger picture, like almost all the dots connect. I don't know. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Yeah. No, I'm in that right now, actually. Yeah. Like, and it's and there's parts where I've also learned to own the like shame that can come up. Like, I should be over this by now, you know, or like, but it's like actually the eating disorder was just this big bandage on it that I had to focus on taking off the bandage first. Then the deeper wound is is very deep, and it's now it's cleansing it and working with it, and not you know, the bandage is off now, the eating disorder is gone. And, yeah. you know, at some point you do have to get rid of the bandage in order to do that work. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know if I could have done that work while having eating disorder. Do you feel like you could have done the I work you're I doing? I really now? don't think so. 
Yeah, I don't think so. I felt like the eating disorder was a symptom and one of the symptoms. You know, it wasn't like the cause of my problems. It was like a symptom of, you know, so many things that went down that I didn't get to deal with effectively as a child, which is most of us. I mean, most of us deal with things as children the only way we know how. But no, I don't think that I could have gone this deep with my therapist had I been because I would have been stuck in the mindset of like, well, I just need to get my food thing under control or I just need to lose weight or I just know this and if I solve this, then that'll go away. But now it's like, obviously those things aren't a problem anymore. It's almost like because there's nothing like pressing, right? Like I went into therapy with no, like my therapist was like, so why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. I thought it would be cool. <laughs> and she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I just wanted to be like proactive about my mental health. And I feel like because I went into it with no particular problem, we actually got to dive into what was needed as opposed to what I thought was needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. So you had no like agenda coming in because a lot of times with eating disorder recovery, the agenda is like, I want to reduce my behaviors. I want to Yeah. generally, I like to think of eating disorders as behavioral manifestations of anxiety and depression and and Mm -hmm. underlying trauma. And when you can take away that behavior talk, which is essential, you know, like how how are you doing with these behaviors? Uh, then you can really do some of that yeah, other exactly. stuff that can come up yeah, in, in patterns. Yeah, I had certain, you know, certain goals. But again, it's not, you know, the thing about therapy, it's not like you're sitting just talking about one thing that whole time. It's like all these things. Also, my therapist is really good at doing that thing where she brings together everything Mm. And makes it make sense. And then you just see how it's all connected. I think that good mental health professionals really, really do that for you. Or even coaches where they're like, hey, do you see how this thing with your food back when you were 17 is showing up with this thing in your business now that you're in your 20s, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's that though. It's the patterns. Like, yeah, that's one of my favorite. Carl Jung is one of my, my favorite. Uh, but he, he's, you know, he has this quote until you make the unconscious conscious, it directs your life and you consider it fate. And so we see that sometimes there's these patterns that are existing within food, the realm of food, but then they easily extrapolate out to relationships and to money and kind of going into what you talk a lot about in the book is like these three areas of self-love being self-compassion, self-criticism and self-worth. Right. And all three of these can can infiltrate into all areas of our life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And body image or food or an eating disorder, they're just like one little sliver of it. They just feel so encompassing because like you said, it's like almost anxiety channeled into them. Obviously, anxiety is so overpowering. But once you get a chance to like breathe and zoom out a little, you just see that it's one little piece of the puzzle, not to intimidate you, but more so to liberate you that it's not, there's nothing like wrong with you (laughs) at all. Like we're all dealing with our own giant puzzle pieces. Yeah. I love how you have this concept within the the book is the self-love pie, which helps Mm -hmm. you see that a lot of times people like, if I love myself, that means I'm going to love my body, right? Like sometimes that's the connection some will make. And so what are some of these other areas that self-love can really come into in our life? I think a a big underlying theme of the book in general is like distinctions. I'm really big on like words. I'm like, obviously, we're talking about happiness and meaning. And you saw how intricate I get with those. 
And like, if you're able to draw these distinctions and you have a certain level of clarity in your head, then A, you're giving yourself credit where it's due. You're like, yeah, I'm great at this. And then you also know what you really need to work on without catastrophizing the situation or without beating yourself up for not being this perfect sort of way. So yeah, the self-love pie, I mean, everybody's self-love pie looks different depending on what's important to you. But some of the main things that probably most of us will have in our pies is like relationships, romantic ones, family, your career slash work, your like spirituality. If you identify with that, it could be even your hobbies. I don't remember what other example. Oh, money is a big one, like money and finances. And we all have like these areas of our lives where we either feel pretty good at or confident in or at least on the right track. And then other areas where like, <laughs> and they make us uncomfortable or we've been neglecting them for a certain reason. So I have, I think chapter, chapter one is the self-love formula, which is self-compassion, self-worth and self-esteem. And then again, it's all about like these distinctions. And then there's a section in chapter two, one or two about the self-love pie, which again is about these categories of your lives where self-love shows up. And then there's different things throughout the book. Like, you know, we talk about like the difference between self-criticism and neutral thinking or the difference between body image and self-love is a whole chapter. Because again, a lot of people, I think for most people in recovery, right? Like we enter this journey, we call it self-love and it all has to do with food and body image for a really long, long time. And it, again, it, it just swallows <laughs> everything. Um, and it doesn't give us a chance to evaluate some of the other areas of our lives that maybe we're like really good at loving ourselves in or we're really confident at, but we like don't give ourselves enough credit for it. And I think that's what I found a lot with, especially working with clients or people who were in recovery. I'm like, oh my God, you are brilliant. Like you, I worked with this one girl. She was actually wrote about her in the last chapter of my book because she made such a big difference in my life. She was like an incredible writer and doing so well at school. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to be starring in this movie. And I'm like, you're starring in a movie? <laughs> and she was just like such a great sister and just really connected and present in her community. And then like really big in the indigenous community because her dad was and just like just doing so many amazing things in her life and yet every day she would come to session and it would be like eating disorder and i'm struggling with my eating. and and again of course we come for help like we're not gonna sit there and tutor on horn the whole time i get that but i just feel like when it comes to like having an eating disorder our whole identity gets wrapped up in it and we don't recognize how amazing we are outside of the eating disorder. Well, because that self-criticism, self-compassion, and mm -hmm. self-worth, that formula, the self-love formula, it can still, even if you do amazing things outside, it's like those three are so, I think, important for building a strong life that you feel comfortable and confident living in. And so even if you're nailing it in your schoolwork, if you're criticizing yourself about mm -hmm. how you're getting to the top, right? Like a self-compassion empirically shows that it helps yeah. you get better results than self-criticism, yeah. even though you may find you get results with self-criticism. True, true. Yeah. It's not necessarily like what you achieve. It's like how you're going about it for sure. Yeah. And one area that I, I know that 
is really common. I'm sure we probably have read this in some many books, many self-help books uh, or spiritual books, but this idea of like having versus being. And Mm -hmm. I would love to kind of have the listeners hear your perspective on it. I share the similar philosophy that I like to work with people around is, you know, what's the difference between having something in your life, having the relationship, having the body versus the being mode of, of really calling it in and believing that it's for you and you can have it. I think the part that changed my life with this is, okay, you know how like when somebody's being an asshole to you, we kind of, hopefully you know that they're probably projecting, right? They had a bad day. It's more about them. We, I'm sure most people are familiar with the concept of like projecting, right? That it has more to do about them than you. And they're only saying shit to you because they see it in themselves. So don't remember how this hit me, but I think if you flip that around in the same way, if you're looking at somebody and you're like, wow, they're so confident and cool and smart and like whatever you're admiring in them, you can't admire it in them unless it's in yourself too. Exactly. And that just like, whoa, (laughs) because I was like, that means that I'm also capable of that because generally you're not going to notice anything in someone else unless it's also within you, unless it's also important to you. So there has to be a side of you or a sliver or something that you can channel that maybe you've been hiding for a while that is also that way. And that's why it just inspires you or maybe even makes you jealous when it's in another person right? Because it's like this unexpressed side of you. So that's the way that I, you know, invite people to build their confidence when it comes to like these being things that you can be these things. A lot of people think it's about having things. And then they're like, once I have the thing, then I can do whatever I want. Like once I have the perfect body and I have the relationship and I have money, then I can travel and then I'll be happy. (laughs) And so it's all these like, it's kind of a little bit backwards. Whereas, you know, the way you would flip that around is like, okay, well, what feelings is traveling or having these things? What what am I really looking for here? And generally, it's something like connection or freedom or self love or confidence, right? And then you're like, how can I be that right now? And then, you know, you start writing that out. Like, what do you want to be? Like a free spirit, confident queen? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you can get as specific or it could just be like, for me, it was connected, confident, and authentic. And I always thought like, the only way I would be that is if I had a perfect body or if everybody liked me <laughs> for some reason. And that wasn't the case. And then I started just like living by that. Like, I'm a connected, confident, authentic person. And then I'm like, okay, well, what do, like, what do confident people do? What do connected people do? Well, they probably you know, wear whatever they feel good in, or they share their heart like with people and aren't afraid to show up, or maybe they're afraid, but they do it anyways. So then you start doing those things, and then suddenly the haves just kind of come. You know, maybe it's not the perfect body, but it's like your body, and you start feeling more comfortable in it, and it just becomes a place of like just more peace and a process that is truly like long-term and just really like soul-centered instead of being like very ego-driven. Again, the the best part about this is that it's it's like more effortless, I feel like. It's not that hard. 
to start being because you can be right now. You know, my mom always says this. She'll be like, okay, like, what's the next logical step? (laughs) And you're like, okay, well, if I'm a free spirit, maybe the next logical step is to make a Pinterest board of all these places I want to go and start researching and learning about them and, I don't know, learn the language. Cool. And then what's the next logical step? Okay, maybe I'll plan a trip. And, you know, it just kind of goes and it's a lot, I don't know, I think it's a lot more fulfilling than being like, oh my God, I, I have to do all these things and have all these things and then I'll be able to live the life of my dreams. It's just a little backwards. Yeah, it goes straight though to the identity, like the really the beingness and then the values are really what you make us unique. Different people have different values and what really like the free spirit. What I love about you too, you probably don't even realize this because you're not into as astrology really. And you know, I'm really into it, but you have so much that the Aquarian is like the free wow. spirit. It is the intelligent one. It is the math nerd, you know, it's <laughs> the one who's going to read and care about connection, but also have that be one of their hardest things in life is feeling like that mm. they can connect at the same time. Cause that's the shadow side of it. Right. But the ultimate light of it is a huge connector of large audiences. Mm. That makes me so happy. Yeah, that's why I love astrology because like people don't even know it. I'm like, you're doing it. Like this yeah. is you. Like, yeah. you know, I've always like connected with Aquarius, and I always think about this because my mom is really into it. And she, growing up, she would always tell me, "You're an Aquarius. That's why you're like this." And so sometimes I wonder, like, which way is it? Like, did she tell me, and then I became it, <laughs> or vice versa? But I've truly always like felt that way. Like whenever I read anything astrology related about myself, I don't know much about the other signs, but whenever I read about myself, <laughs> I definitely, it just, every single thing lands. Yeah. I've never been like, oh, that's not me. I still want to get your chart though. Cause I know, I think, yeah. Cause you have your moon and there's all these other factors too, but I'm curious. I would love to see. I can tell you, I have it. I have Do it you handy. Have to get offline. You have to share it with me because okay. um, I want to see it. So I love, yeah, this concept of do, be, have, or have, be, do, be, do. I mean, whatever order you put them in, the main thing is the being is how can you in this moment, like you're saying, what's the next logical thing I can do? And maybe the most important thing is to have patience because sometimes people can then feel like, well, if I want to be this and I I try it on for a day and and I don't see the results that I want because I don't you know have this thing in my life yet. What would you kind of say about that in the process of... Well, if you're focused on results, then you're not really being... I mean, if you're like, oh, I'm going to be for this end goal, it's it's similar to like, you know, when people try to intuitive eat their way to weight loss when they're like, oh, I'm going to hack it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, nah, nah, girl. There's this new thing, this new diet. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just going to... No, like, that's not how it works. You really got to let yourself be for, for a hot minute. Yeah, for for long, lots of hot minutes. Well, oh, Mary, it's been so great talking with you. I do want to wrap up yeah. and let everybody know how they can connect with you. Um, you can follow me on the interwebs. I'm at Mary's Cup of Tea pretty much everywhere. Um, my podcast is also the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. It comes up when you search for it. And The Gift of Self-Love, it's available everywhere books are sold. It's in all the, you know, Amazon, Target, Barnes Noble, Walmart. I hope everybody gets a chance to give themselves the gift of self-love, whether it's book way in the book form or otherwise. 
So rad. Yeah, I highly recommend getting this book. It's just a work of art. It's beautiful, everything inside and outside, which is totally a testament to you, Mary. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure to, to talk and laugh. Thank you, Jessica. Likewise. <laughs> Thank you, Mary Delkowski. Be sure to follow her journey on her Instagram and TikTok account, Mary's Cup of Tea. And you can find her books, The Gift of Self-Love and 100 Days of Self-Love, a guided journal anywhere books are sold. Now, let's go over three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one, be open to resources outside of the eating disorder recovery space. Obviously, here at Recovery Warriors, we are all about eating disorder recovery resources. It's a huge and necessary part of healing from an eating disorder to be seen and understood for your specific struggle. And you can deepen your recovery by stepping outside of the eating disorder space to embrace other mental health and self-improvement resources. Often, there are many underlying things with eating disorders that are ultimately not about the food. It could be any number of things like trauma, depression, anxiety, grief, attachment, and self-esteem issues, and so many more emotional wounds and mental health struggles that tie in to food and body issues. For Mary, and I'll also say for myself, one of the most helpful things in recovery were spiritual books that were not directly related to eating disorders. Those kinds of books just helped me a lot because I think it wasn't like, here's how to recover and love your body and accept yourself. It was more like, here's how to see yourself as more than a body because at the end of the day, like, that's still like our body image is still a part of our ego, right? And that's the big thing that a lot of these spiritual books talk about is like ego, whether it's like, money or having things look a certain way or or even if it's your body or food like all of these things are just they're still kind of like this surface level thing um of course mental health is so real and so deep but a lot of it has like very spiritual connections so that was kind of like my process it wasn't conventional by any means it was more like it all it just like kind of came together from many different sources there was not like one direct source. There was not one direct source in Mary's journey. Sometimes you need to pull from different areas and resources in order to recover strong. And there's so many resources out there. There's books, therapists, coaches, articles, websites, newsletters, classes, treatment centers, communities, social media, daily affirmations like we provide through the daily growth habit. I could keep going on and on. We are so blessed to live in a time with countless resources, both in and out of the eating disorder recovery space. It can almost feel overwhelming, but you don't need to be a superhuman who does it all. Take what's best and leave the rest. Ultimately, whether you prefer resources that are more focused on eating disorders, or if you end up wanting to go more towards resources focused on general self-improvement and mental health, you are doing something wonderful for your recovery. Get excited to think about all the different things you can explore. So that is key takeaway number one. Be open to resources outside of the eating disorder space. Now, let's go over key takeaway number two. The goal is not to be happy. Now, this might sound bleak and confusing when you hear it. Like, what? What do you mean? The goal isn't to be happy. I'm miserable living with an eating disorder. Of course I want to be happy. 
And just hear me out for a second. While the ultimate goal is not to be happy, that doesn't mean you won't ever experience happiness or have more of it in your life if you pursue recovery. Because of course you will. It's just that you don't want happiness to be your number one and all be all goal. Because no matter what, life is never perfect. There will always be struggles and hard things that happen. And you'll always be growing and improving and working on something. While there's absolutely a better life to be found down the road of recovery, happiness is not the goal or an endpoint that you reach. Mary explained a bit more about why. Instead of like pressuring yourself to be happy, which ultimately ends you more unhappy in the long run because you're constantly feeling like you're not reaching that expectation. Like the more you set that expectation, that's the same thing with your body. Like if you're like, I wish I could just be happy with my body. Well, what if a better, more realistic and actually like a more proactive, productive intention is like, I want to feel more connected to my body. And it just like makes it so much easier to actually feel that instead of this arbitrary idea of happiness that nobody really knows what it is or how to define it. And so I often think about creating meaning in my life because some of the most, the best things I've done have come through (laughs) blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes the best things are the hardest things. For Mary, she leaned into finding meaning in her life rather than happiness. This is the ultimate goal, to live a life of meaning, whatever that is for you. For Mary, she found meaning in things like getting her hands in the dirt to plant and garden, or riding a bike with her little sister. For me, I find meaning in walking a spiritual path and lighting the way for people going through dark night of the soul experiences. Being of service and providing encouragement and support for healing means so much to me, and it's because I've experienced so much pain, grief, and loss in my life that this is where I derive the meaning to give back to others who are going through the same. The good life isn't about luxury and glamour or winning the rat race like what society wants us to think. It's the simple daily moments where you're doing what matters to you. So that is key takeaway number two. The goal is not to be happy. Finally, key takeaway number three. Focus on being rather than having. In today's conversation, Mary went over the concept of having versus being. Let's revisit her explanation of what that means. A lot of people think it's about having things. And then they're like, once I have the thing, then I can do whatever I want. Like once I have the perfect body and I have the relationship and I have money, then I can travel and then I'll be happy. (laughs) And so it's all these like, it's kind of a little bit backwards. Whereas the way you would flip that around is like, okay, well, what feelings is traveling or having these things? What, What am I really looking for here? And generally, it's something like connection or freedom or self love or confidence, right? And then you're like, how can I be that right now? And then, you know, you start writing that out. Like, what do you want to be? Like a free spirit, confident queen? I don't know. Like (laughs) you can get as specific or it could just be like, for me, it was connected, confident and authentic. And I always thought like the only way I would be that is if I had a perfect body or if everybody liked me (laughs) for some reason. And that wasn't the case. And then I started just like living by that. Like I'm a connected, confident, authentic person. And then I'm like, okay, well, what like what do confident people do? What do connected people do? Well, they probably you know, wear whatever they feel good in, or they share their heart like with people and aren't afraid to show up, or maybe they're afraid, but they do it anyways. So then you start doing those things, and then suddenly the haves just kind of come. 
you know, maybe it's not the perfect body, but it's like your body and you start feeling more comfortable in it. And it just becomes a place of like, just more peace and a process that is truly like long term and just really like soul centered instead of being like very ego driven. Again, the, the best part about this is that it's, a, it's like more effortless. I feel like it's not that hard to start being because you can be right now. You can start being right now. It is a state of mind and a powerful way to practice living in recovery. The things you are longing for are already within you waiting to be embraced. You don't need proof that you are what you desire. You don't need a certain body size to be loved and accepted. You don't need a certain bank account balance to be abundant and secure. You don't need a ring on your finger to be chosen and cherished. You can be loved, accepted, abundant, secure, chosen, and cherished right now. Focus on being rather than having. So these are the three key takeaways from this conversation with Mary Jelkowski. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.